0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Bible class uh, today. Uh, This is uh, Quinquagesima Sunday, which just means this is our last pre-Lent Sunday. Ash Wednesday, of course, is this coming Wednesday, the 17th. Um, So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to attend. If not, watch us online. Uh, As is our custom, we will uh, have the imposition of ashes starting at 6.45 p.m., Uh, And then the service will be at 7 o'clock, divine service, and then afterwards we still have confirmation classes and adult Bible class as well, okay? So Lent starts uh, this week. Uh, If you haven't picked up your devotional booklets and calendar already, they're in your member mailbox. We also have extra copies in the Narthex. Um, If you're unable to come to church, uh, call the office and one of us as pastors will drop it by or we can stick it in the mail, okay? Okay. Uh, So that's what's going on there. Today is also uh, Valentine's Day, as you well know. Um, You can listen to the sermon to hear more about that, but uh, happy Valentine's Day. Um, Okay, we are also in a little bit of a transition now with Bible class. Uh, We've concluded our study on Daniel, and as I promised and planned, we're now moving into our study on the book of Revelation. Okay? As we go through Revelation, um, just as couple of things. There's there's a there's a few people that um, I want to say thank you to. We have a retired pastor by the name of Reverend Doug Ermer. Uh, he actually, uh, I served with him in Nebraska, and uh, he moved, uh, retired, actually moved out here to Indianapolis. Uh, he attends and assists uh, down at St. Peter Lutheran Church um, in downtown Indianapolis. And years ago, he wrote a uh, uh, commentary, translation, notes, Bible study on the book of Revelation. And uh, so some of what I'm going to use uh, uh, for you comes from him, um, wonderful, faithful man. Um, also going to be using a gentleman who now rests from his labors. I had him as a seminary professor, um, as did probably a couple of our retired pastors, <laughs> a Reverend Dr. Uh, um, I. We always referred to him as Louis. I don't know if it was Louis or uh, Louis Brighton uh, who wrote the seminal commentary on the book of Revelation. Uh, It's one of the big thick ones that has Latin, Hebrew, and Greek words in it. (laughs) So um, designed, obviously, for the pastors, but for anybody, and so I'm going to be using some of that. And then there's also uh, God's Word for Today uh, from CPH, and you'll see some of that up on the screen um, on the book of Revelation. Um, this is now the third or the fourth time in 20, 20 years that I've taught on the book of Revelation. Um, so these are just some of the sources that I'll be using as we go through that um, and and do that. There's, there's also one other gentleman, and I'll use a little bit of, of what he has. Um, his name, and I'm not sure, I think he's... The, I don't know if he left the, L, I think they left the LCMS. I don't know if he came back or not. Reverend Jack Cashone wrote back, did you ever read his, it's called The Biblical, I think it's Biblical Order. Uh, he wrote a, a book on, a uh, commentary on Revelation, and not so much a commentary as it is looking at uh, the numbers and groupings of numbers um, that is is kind of helpful and so there, there's a few good points that he makes that I'll reference uh, in that as well, okay? So as we go through Revelation, I'll, I'll have a number of different uh, sources uh, that I'll kind of be uh, sharing with you. Um, and oh, I, I forgot to mention Dr. <laughs> uh One of our other sainted professors, uh, uh, Dr. Forbringer. I have some, some typed up notes, uh, they never even really published it um, on the book of Revelation, and his stuff is just solid gold, so... Um, enough of that, now you know where all the crazy stuff that your pastors uh, tell you about comes from. So uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer, and then what we're going to do is just do a little uh, introduction on the book of Revelation, and uh, and then we'll dive into chapter one and see how far we get with that today. Okay? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, mercifully hear our prayers, and having set us free from the bonds of our sins, deliver us from every evil. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, uh, to set the stage for uh, the book of Revelation, let's actually look at a few Bible verses first. Uh, Let's go to Amos uh, 3, verse 7. Uh, Amos 3, verse 7. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So all the way back in the Old Testament... Time and time again, we've learned that the way God reveals what truth is uh, to His servants, the prophets. So, in the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Now, in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. Okay, so one of the ways that we know that Scripture is God's word is that Scripture claims that for itself, and we're gonna we're gonna see some connections as we go through our study of Revelation that are just going to kind of blow your mind a little bit, because now, you know, 500, almost 600 years after the book of Daniel, a lot of what John has to uh, to, to to write down, uh, that which is given him from God, bears some striking similarities to what we've already studied and learned in the book of Daniel, and connections through the rest of the Old Testament, um, but... uh, uh the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. So God speaks now through His Word and the prophets now. This is where we, we get our Scripture. Uh, go to Romans 11, verse 33 real quick. One of the challenges we we have... Uh, in, in interpreting Scripture is, is trying to figure out what the, uh, the, the, the one uh, literal meaning of, of Scripture is. And there is one to that. We confess that. Uh, Romans 11, verse 33. Okay. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So it always starts with, <laughs> there's just so much there. So the more you study, uh, the more you dive into it, the longer you live the more you recognize just the uh, um, amazing nature of God's Word um, and the depth, uh, the riches, the wisdom, okay? How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. And then 34 goes on, for who has known the mind of the Lord who has been His counselor? Um, And so we can't, you know, if we're approaching Scripture with trying to figure out uh, what God was thinking, we're missing the task at hand. Our job is simply to take that which we have received, okay, and using then that which God has given, Scripture interpret Scripture, okay? Um, and obviously, we're, we're left with some questions. Uh, there's also the process of maturity, uh, and this is the one thing I, I've noticed quite a bit, you know, over the course of, of, of my time and study uh, and, and work are, are things that I, that I didn't see before, And I'll share one little funny thing with you. So we finished the study of Daniel, uh, and in my preparation this week for the book of Revelation, I found some things in Daniel that I didn't know. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, I'm such a bad pastor. I wish I would have shared this with them, you know, back when I did the study on Daniel. But, of course, I had to write it down. So the next time I do a study on Daniel, then I'll have, you know, some of those notes. But that's the process of growing in knowledge and wisdom and understanding as you continue to see uh, new and amazing things all the time. okay. But it all starts with with God's riches, His wisdom, His knowledge, um, and how we search that out within that which He has given to the prophets. And then go to Romans 8, verse 22, back up there in Paul's letter to the Romans, um, 8, verse 22. Okay. Um, as, as we get into our study of the last book of the Bible, um, uh, Revelation, we recognize that that the whole creation has been in this this continual process, um, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, right? So we're not we're not waiting for the first fruits of the spirit. You know, you, you have all that you need in your baptism. You know, one faith, uh, one Lord, one baptism. Um, We groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there is one thing that a Christian should always be looking forward to, and that's the return of Christ, uh, the resurrection of all flesh. That ironically is also the one thing that our loved ones who have died in the faith, the saints who rest from their labors, the one thing they look forward to is the return of Christ. They don't want for anything else. Um, but they are gathered around the altar of the Lamb uh, in heaven, um, and they look uh, forward to the return of Christ, to the resurrection of the body, okay? So there's this expectation of what is yet to come. And then look how, look how the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says this, For in this hope we were saved, Right? So, when we talk about faith, hope, and love for our readings for today, and, and you know, I'll focus a little bit on love in the sermon itself, uh, but hope obviously is a big one. Um, uh, hope uh, that, that saves us now is hope that is found in the person of Christ, and in what he has done, and what he will yet do, which is his return and the resurrection of all flesh. Okay, Which brings us now to the last book of the Bible. In your Bible, it probably just says Revelation, okay? Now, um, so far they have not allowed me to be an editor at CPH or at any of the other places that print Bibles, and if it was simply up to your simple pastor's mind, I would change the name of the last book of the Bible to The Revelation of Jesus Christ, because the way a lot of people describe the last book of the Bible is it's the revelation of St. John. It's not the revelation of St. John. Matter of fact, Revelation 1 verse 1, listen to this. So here's the title, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Okay, so the revelation, that which is revealed, is given by who? By Jesus. To who? To John. Okay, the one thing that as we dive into Revelation that you're going to see, and we, we get this right at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, okay, so it's that which Jesus now gives to John, and we're going to do a little background here on John to make sure we understand who he is, okay, uh, but That which John now writes down, the emphasis is on what he sees, okay? Or what he has seen, okay? Um, Not necessarily what he hears. It's what John sees, okay? In this sense, John is a witness, okay? Okay? Now, my, my boys this last year got in a car accident, um, according to the two of them in the car, and I believe them. There was a crazy lady driving through traffic, and she was weaving in and out, and all of a sudden, she pulls right in front of them and slams on her brakes. And of course, they, they could, there's no way they could stop in time, okay? So crunch, munch, airbags, thankfully everybody was fine, cars totaled. So the insurance, of course, has to go through their process. Who's going to pay for the damage to the vehicles? This lady's insurance or ours? And, of course, two witnesses in our car, right, the boys. Now, I wasn't there. So can technically I be a witness to that accident? No. I did not witness it. Okay? Now, just so you know, here's a little bit of my beef with the way not just the lutheran church sometimes but the christian church talks about that it says oh yeah you have to be a what a witness you got to be a witness for jesus and i would say okay what are you witnessing to have you seen jesus personally did you see him die on the cross did you see him appear to you with wounds in his hands and his side and his feet did you no, you did not. So what, if anything, can you witness to? Now, don't tell me. You just think about that question. Because all of Scripture that we have, Old Testament and New Testament, is based on what? Those who witnessed, saw, right? So go back to Daniel real quick. Did Daniel see anything? Yes, he did. The emphasis is upon what he saw that was now written down, okay? Um, now, you can witness to, uh, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday and you'll see uh, uh, bread and wine turned into body and blood. <laughs> That's a good one. Or come witness a baptism, okay? Or you can witness to what God's Word might do in people's lives, okay? Things like that. So just just recognize that we, we need to define things in a good way. Now, I'm not telling you to not tell people about Jesus. My point is that we use this word witness sometimes a little too carelessly without understanding how Scripture uses the word, okay? Uh, the word actually, do you know what it is in Greek? <laughs> Martyr or martyrion. okay? Um, so that, that's, that's the word in Greek. Okay, all right, all right. So emphasis with John is on what he sees. So let's talk a little bit about John. Um, let's go first of all just to a timeline. I'm going to throw up here. This is from the uh, CPH uh, study. Um, so uh, now d- don't get too some of you that are that are very particular about certain things. Don't get too stuck on the dates. These are approximate. Okay. <laughs> Remember that we don't know the exact year that Jesus was born. Okay. So probably was uh, 2 B.C., could have been 5 B.C., somewhere in that window. Which means that Jesus' death, uh, crucifixion, he would have been, we know he was 33 years of age because he started his ministry at 30. Um, And so, you know, it could have been, it wouldn't have been 33 A.D. Why do we know that? There's no year zero. So probably 32 you know, if you're starting somewhere around there, or 34. Oh boy, I'm not good at math, okay? Uh, so let's, let's just roll with it like this. So crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Christ, roughly 30 AD, okay? John now, who writes, uh, who writes what he sees, the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is the same one that uh, Jesus gives to him his mother, So, Jesus now creates by his word a familial relationship that was not there previously, okay? Woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother, okay? So, John now is to care for Jesus' mother um, in her old age, and likewise, she for him, okay? Uh, Jesus is all about uh, families and relationships in a good way, okay? Uh, Holy Spirit now, shortly after that, day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, when they're celebrating the the festival of booths. Pay attention, Leviticus study people. Uh, They're gathered there, uh, and the Holy Spirit descends on the twelve, and they speak in languages they'd never learned, okay? They'd never studied. Um, A few historical connections for us. You've got Caligula, the Roman emperors, 37 to 41. Claudius, uh, 41 to 54. Uh, The Jerusalem council, around 49 to 50. The earliest dates of John's Gospel, um, th- there are some, uh, some differences of opinion on when John might have written this. Most conservative scholars place John's Gospel a little later, but you need to know that there is some scholarship that can be defended and debated that would place it as early as uh, 50, um, most of the, uh, the, the more conservative scholars tend toward about 70 uh, uh, A.D. Uh, Nero lived from 54 to 68. So the latter part of John's life, there is a lot of persecution going on for Christians, okay? Uh, John himself is exiled uh, to an island called Patmos, um, a Greek island, Um, and then uh, we don't know exactly when or where he dies. We have some um, uh, 2nd century uh, references that he went to Ephesus and died there, but that's it. So um, some of the other apostles, we know exactly what happened to them, uh, and they were martyred, um, but Scripture does not give us full details on all of them or their death, okay? We know that Jerusalem uh, uh, is captured and then the temple destroyed in 70 A.D. Uh, Domitian, the Roman Empire, then was 81 to 96, okay? Um, 85 and later, uh, traditional dates of John's Gospel and three epistles, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is that same John, most conservative scholars would say, same guy, Um, and the three epistles that John wrote would be, towards the end of your Bible as well, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, okay? If you're looking for a good Bible study to do on Valentine's Day, uh, read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it won't take you very long, and highlight wherever you see the word love, It's a really good study on love, okay? Um, John exiled in on Patmos, 90 to 95. Traditional date, then, of John's revelation is 95 A.D. So if Jesus died at roughly 30 A.D., and revelation, then, the more conservative date is 95, how old do you think John could have been? Do the math. That's 65. And uh, John, um, you know, we think might have been the young man who uh, fled uh, naked from the Garden of Gethsemane. or whose whose tunic was ripped off or fell off. So it could have been 16, 17, 18, uh, somewhere around there. So let's say he was about that age. Um, You know, keep in mind for him to have been recognized, um, and this is where scholarship gets kind of interesting. You know, Jesus started his ministry at 30, and so, you know, for the apostles to have, uh, you know, at least had some clout in their culture, um some scholars have said that you know they would have each have been at least thirty, okay? um so they would have been able to uh, speak with authority. um of course, their authority was not based on age, but the Holy Spirit, but you know so so let's say john let's say John was thirty or thirty one when he started uh, when Jesus said, Come follow me um that would put him then how old ninety five. am I doing my math right okay. So, I mean, regardless whether it was, uh, you know, uh, 75 or 95, uh, you know, at that time, that's living for a long time, you know, if you study some of, some of the history of that. So, uh, the Lord blessed him with, with a long life, okay? Um, and uh, John dies, uh, that date is around 100, which would add another 5 to what I just said, <laughs> okay? So, let's talk a little bit uh, about, uh, about John. Um, the first thing I want to tell you is Martin Luther really struggled with the revelation of Jesus Christ, this book now that we're about to study. Um, the problem was at Luther's time, uh, there were um, a number of false teachings that were going around as there are today. Okay? And so when we talk about some of these false interpretations of, uh, of John, uh, the Greek word of one of these errors is uh, Achilleism. Okay, I always reminded it uh, 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 like bad chili, chiliism, <laughs> and uh, this is the uh, uh, basically the Greek word for whoops. What am I doing here? Uh, for millennium. Okay, so we get into Revelation. This is where we're going to hear about the thousand years. Uh, you know, and a, thou- a millennium is is one thousand, right? And the way I always remembered millennium was Star Wars, the Millennial Falcon. And I always tried to figure out why they called it the millennial, the thousand falcons. I don't know. Um, But see, this is how you associate things in your mind when you're studying to keep them going, okay? Um, Does anybody, so, uh, oh, oh. I had one. Where did my notes go? Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, So the word in Latin that is typically used that you'll recognize is millennialism. Okay, so these these are these are false teachings, and we're going to learn as we get into Revelation is that there is literally a thousand years uh, after Christ uh, returns. If he returns secretly, then there's a thousand year reign. Um, and uh, so Luther was battling some of this at the same time. Okay, that there's going to come a great millennium, a thousand years of, um, and there there's different. Uh, uh, views uh, on this. Um, of course, we are not millennialists as, uh, uh, as Lutherans. We are amillennialists or amillennialists, okay? Which means that we believe the thousand years is figurative, okay? So we are living in these last days now. We're living in these thousand years now, Now, don't worry. Some of that, for some of you, you're like, oh, we need to dive into that. We will. We'll get into that a little bit more. But what you need to know is that some of this was around still 500 years ago with Luther. There was false interpretations of Scripture. And he was really worried that Revelation would lead people astray. Um, And so early Luther especially kind of had a hands off you know he probably would never do a Bible study on uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ at least when he was younger uh, as we're doing here today but don't worry have no fear we're gonna we're gonna dive into it and get it all straightened out okay uh, this John let's go let's go back to who this John is real quick this is the John of Peter James and John okay so the three of them now often referenced as Jesus's uh, inner circle. Uh, they are there for um, uh, a couple of, of pretty amazing moments. One, obviously, is the transfiguration, where now Moses and Elijah appear uh, bodily there with Jesus. Okay? Uh, Peter, James, and John as well are, the, are the, the ones that are with Jesus, that remain with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? Um, John the Apostle, some scholars think, might have been a disciple of John the Baptist, before he became uh, an apostle, uh, but that's just conjecture. We don't have anything on that either way. We do know that John, uh, the apostle, the evangelist, is from a small city called Bethsaida. His father was Zebedee, his brother was James. And so we see John and James paired together quite a bit throughout uh, the Gospels and uh, the history of the church. They're known as the, the sons of thunder. Okay? And even though John most likely is the one whom Jesus loved, and so in the, you know, the, the painting of the Last Supper, the one kind of leaning on Jesus' arm, and he kind of looks kind of meek and mild. Um, the John that is really portrayed in Scripture is anything but meek and mild. Okay? Uh, John is actually uh, fairly uh, impetuous. Uh, you might remember the story where uh, someone is casting out demons in Jesus' name. Guess who tries to stop that? This guy. John does. Tries to stop it. And Jesus basically rebukes him for that. Okay? You might remember as well, uh, when uh, they're traveling, and they go to, uh, into Samaria, and, uh, and <laughs> you know John sees just the, <clears throat> the unbelief and the sin and just how bad things are. And you might remember this. He asked Jesus to call down fire, right? To do what? To smote this, <laughs> this village right? This is what they deserve, right? Come on, Jesus, open up heaven and, uh, and bring some fire down, and let's, let's just get rid of them, okay? Um, John is also, uh, uh, with James, asked Jesus to give them uh, seats of honor when he comes in glory. So John kind of speaks out of turn, you know, and says, hey, you know, when you come in glory, I want to sit at your <laughs> right hand, so the reason I'm sharing some of this background from Scripture is, you know, as we study Scripture, same, same with Daniel, sometimes we put these prophets or these men up on this very holy pedestal, that they never sinned or that they weren't kind of normal people who battled with stuff that you and I battled with. And uh, they were normal sinners just like you. None of them were without sin. Now, there are some churches that teach that these apostles, or even Mary, the mother of Jesus, never sinned, and Scripture is very clear. There's only one person who never sinned. Who was that? Jesus, okay? Now, the amazing thing is that God takes us sinners and crafts us and molds us, shapes us now according to His will, and gives us now these amazing amazing vocations that we have, and so for John, who really started life as a fisherman, um, you might say a little bit of a, at least at the culture at the time, he would have been a redneck, he would have been a little bit of a hillbilly, okay, um, not probably well educated, um, just a working man, um, and that's actually what the majority of the apostles were, Okay. So don't get too caught up in the whole knowledge, wisdom, or degrees, that sort of thing. Our society can do a little bit of that. Uh, God will use people uh, according to his will in, in, in just amazing ways. And we see that with, uh, with uh, John. Later on, in the growth of the church, John plays a very important role. Uh, John travels with Peter. You might remember the story where with Peter, he is imprisoned uh, there uh, in jail. And do uh, you remember what happens in that story? An angel appears to them and sets them free, releases them from jail. Okay, uh, so John, even prior to being of older age and being on the island of Patmos, sees and experiences some amazing things. Obviously, witnessing directly all that Jesus does, uh, but now even after Jesus has uh, ascended. Okay, um, one thing that you may not know is that in the midst of these. Uh, missionary uh, travels and journeys, um, John uh, returns with the apostles to that same village in Samaria where he had asked Jesus to call down fire and brimstone. And you remember what happens? They baptize tons of people. They share the gospel with them, okay? So we see that John has compassion, uh, and you might even say recognizes some of the error uh, of his uh, youthful ways, okay? um uh john then returned to jerusalem um became we're told uh one of the leaders of the church okay of course james uh the brother of jesus was the uh the, the head of the jerusalem church uh, ironically it wasn't peter so if he was the first per- pope i always like to ask roman catholics that question you know why was peter not the head of the church at jerusalem If he was the first pope why was james so it's just a fun question um okay and, um, okay, uh, let's see, what else do I have here in my notes that I wanted to tell you about? Um, yeah, so then he was exiled after that. So that would have been, again, under the uh, those uh, 20 very long and dark years of persecution is when he would have been exiled, which is kind of interesting because we just dealt with the exile of Daniel, which was obviously much longer. And Daniel lived to an old age as well. So there are some interesting just connections between uh, daniel uh, uh, as, a, as a prophet, and now John as an apostle uh, that are almost kind of like bookends in some ways okay so you're going you're going to enjoy some of that okay, any other questions just on John or who he is okay let's look uh, we did the timeline uh, scroll on down and let's just uh, do a brief overview now of of the book of revelation itself okay this is a little more uh, detailed um, Breakdown of the book of Revelation. Um, we're going to... Yeah, let's see. One, let me see if I can summarize it a little simpler uh, for you here on the board. So 1 through 3, 4 through 9, 10 through 19, 20 to 22. Okay? Um, and I'll even make it simpler for you. 1 verse 9 to 22 verse 5, and then 22 verse 6 to 21. Okay, so chapters 1 to 3, this is going to start off with, uh, we're going to look at prophecies, and we're going to hear about seven churches. There are seven letters, or seven revelations, okay, um, uh, that that are revealed, okay. So that's going to be the first thing. We'll probably we're gonna be we won't get into that still today. We've only got ten minutes left. We'll get into that next week, okay. Um, and then uh, chapters four to nine. Uh, so we've got seven churches. We have seven seals, not the hur, 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 not those kind of seals, okay. Um, seven seals, okay, like sealing an envelope or something like that. Um, and then we've got uh, chapters ten to nineteen. Uh, the scroll, or I like the word little book better, okay, uh, that is eaten by John, okay? So we're going to, yeah, he eats a book. We're, we're going to talk about that, okay? Very interesting. And then uh, 20 to 22 uh, is the end of all things, okay? Um, the, the, the simple one, chapter one intro, which we'll finish reading today, and then seven visions, and then the conclusion. Okay, um, the detailed one up here. Uh, it just kind of runs through all. So here's the seven, the seven letters. So you've got Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, so we've got seven letters there. Uh, but the one thing, as we get into all of this, that which John sees, the revelation of Jesus Christ is really all about the church, okay? The church. And probably the easiest way for you well-catechized Lutherans to think about this is both the invisible church and the visible church. So the invisible, of course, is that which you can't see, believers only, consists of those who are in heaven and what's going on in heaven as well as what's going on here. Okay, great connection to what's going on in the divine service, okay? And then the visible church now, uh, which would be synonymous with these because these seven churches, each of them have something that they have screwed up, that they are not doing right. So the visible church consists of believers and hypocrites, uh, sinful people, um, and so there's instructions, warnings, uh, that sort of thing for us, Okay. So the Revelation of Jesus Christ, this last book, is all about the church, which then also makes it all about worship. Okay. Now, most people, when they think about the, the book of Revelation, they think, oh, this is a book of, uh, of just what is yet to come. It has no bearing here and now. It's, it's, it's what's yet to come. You know, Hal Lindsey with his late great planet Earth, uh, there, there's a whole uh, connection of people who fell into this uh, 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 Achilleism and Millennialism uh, that has, has ramped all the way up through La Haye, uh, the Left Behind series, the books, Kirk Cameron, and all of this ridiculous stuff, uh, including um, other detours along the way where people have tried to use Revelation to predict when Jesus is going to return. And, of course, none of those have, have, have come to pass. Um, and so the book of Revelation is not just of what will come. It's what is now, and it does include some of what is yet to come, but that's not its primary task. A okay? uh, primary task of Revelation with Jesus is to give comfort and hope to his church, to his people. And now the way that we, as the visible church, are connected to that which is invisible okay which is divine service okay so if you're if you're diving into the study of revelation thinking you're going to you're going to learn about how you know joe biden or donald trump fits into the end of the world prophecies you're going to be sadly mistaken <laughs> okay because it's all about it's about jesus and and revelation uh, is is beautiful okay in that way Okay, any questions on uh, that outline? Um, let's uh, let's do two things real quick. Uh, let's go ahead and, and read through uh, here just, uh, um, I'm going to go through verse 8. Uh, so let's put Revelation 1, 1 to 8, and uh, we'll read through that. And then I've got one more short introduction, and that'll take care of us for today. Okay, here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one, read this with me, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Okay, great emphasis there for you. All right, here we go, uh, 4 through 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And how many is that? Who is, who was, and who is to come. That's three. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. I make a little connection in my sermon Um, Groupings of numbers are fairly important in Scripture. We don't want to read too much more into them, uh, but uh, we're going to be uh, seeing, and this is where Reverend Cashone uh, shares some good information, talks about the combinations of 3 and 4 and 7 and looking at the lists of things, because uh, the book of Revelation is going to give us a lot of lists, okay? Okay. Um, And we don't want to get too tied down with that, but we do want to see some connections with the rest of the Old Testament um, that, uh, you know, for John uh, being uh, a little bit of an uneducated fisherman, um, how he would have known some of the historic prose or writing or things that Daniel might have known or been trained in uh, is, is quite interesting. Um, okay, so we're going to place that under the Holy Spirit's guidance and see in the book of, of Revelation a, an extremely beautiful poetic revelation that now um, mimics or at least corresponds with what God has given before in Revelation. Okay, and I know somebody had asked me about theophanies. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle some of that too, God's, God's appearance and, and, and revelation. Okay? okay, moving on, verse 5. So grace to you and peace. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. So there's a grouping of three again, okay? Emphasis. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay? A grouping of seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and here's the repetition, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty, okay? Now, we're going to stop there, and I just want to read through this introduction here uh, that CPH uh, provides. There's, there's a few more connections uh, with what I said earlier, so can you scroll down to the introduction, Okay. So, Revelation 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God uh, who sits on the, upon the throne and to the Lamb. If sales of religious books dealing with the end times reliably indicate the nation's spiritual appetite, one could say there is a deep hunger in the land. Since the 1970s, readers have devoured such titles as The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Raise your hand if you've actually read that. Okay. N- none of the rest of you, just ignore it. <laughs> And more recently, the Left Behind book series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Raise your hand if you've read it or watched the movie. Raise your hand if you like Kirk Cameron. You thought he was really cute when he was a young teenage star. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, to date, over 60 million copies sold. Uh, is there a reason for such a craving of end times Christian literature? Um, and, and not just the, well, yeah, you've got the whole Da Vinci Code There's some other connections, okay. A core teaching in many popular End Times materials, including the Left Behind series, is a so-called rapture. According to this theory, Christ will secretly take to heaven living believers and young infants and children prior to his second coming. There are widely divergent views as to the origin of this teaching. Now, this is a really good just kind of background of where some of this false teaching has developed for us here in America. Welsh-born Baptist Morgan Edwards alludes to a secret rapture In a book he published in 1788. The title page of his work quotes Acts 17. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Uh, Thank you, Morgan, for making yourself equal to an apostle uh, and uh, (laughs) receiving new teaching. Now, there was a a Chilean Jesuit by the name of Manuel or Emmanuel Lacunza published a book on the rapture in 1812. Lacunza's writings under Hebrew pen name Ben Ezra were eventually banned by the Roman Catholic Church due to their false teaching. Scotsman Edward Irving published an English translation of Lacunza's work in 1827. Irving, whose followers are sometimes called Irvingites, right, uh, promoted Pentecostal phenomena and was eventually defrocked by the Church of Scotland for his anti-Trinitarian views. Englishman John Nelson Darby discovered, discovered the rapture, hey, look what I found, in 1827 after realizing that the Church is not Israel... <laughs> Some speculate Darby read Irving's translation of Lacunza. Darby systematized dispensationalist theology. Dispensation, just think of a a candy machine dispenser. Dispensationalism is that God gives certain things at certain times, and he has a plan for that. So we live in different dispensations or different times. So God's going to give you a, a package of Doritos here during these 10 or 100 years and then after that, he's going to give you a Hershey's candy bar, and so on and so forth. And eventually, you'll hopefully have a good meal if you put them all together. Okay? That's my simple way of trying to explain dispensationalist theology. A Few professors would probably shoot me for that, but it's, 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 that's the easiest way to understand it. Which emphasizes a literal thousand-year reign of Christ upon earth. Okay? Scottish teenager, yes, Margaret MacDonald, received rapture teaching through an ecstatic religious experience in 1830. She probably had COVID. Some surmise Darby may have received the teaching from McDonald. McDonald's family was involved in Pentecostal phenomena, including regularly speaking in quote tongues. Now, no matter its actual providence, John Nelson Darby preached about the rapture and dispensationalism in a series of engagements from 1859 to 1874 in the United States and Canada. That's how we got all this uh, junk over here. Okay? Um, the teaching received further promotion in Great Britain and the United States through the Schofield Reference Bible, first published uh, by Schofield in 1909. Schofield's notes and annotations have provided source material for Lindsay, LaHaye, Jenkins, and others. Interestingly, the secret rapture, along with dispensationalism, has not been widely received by Christians outside of the United States and Canada, which is, is really interesting. Uh, Perhaps popular end times literature offers to satisfy a gnawing desire for a manifestation of Christ's power and presence in our lives, okay? And simply for us, that would be looking for Jesus where he doesn't promise to be, okay? So as as faithful, Bible-believing Christians, we look for Jesus and find him where he promised to be in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in confession absolution, okay? And with his church, gathered around these gifts, word and sacrament, okay? Uh, to try and find Jesus outside of those things is dangerous, okay? Uh, and uh, Paul, Paul talks a lot about that as well with the early church, okay? Um, maybe complicated Bible mysteries solved by experts offering tailor-made explanations uh, offer a soothing diversion from our increasingly complicated existence. Perchance, we pine for a quick deliverance, like a secret rapture from all life's pain and disappointments. Regardless of cause or supposed cure, much of the popular end times material, what we would call pop prophecy, will leave one empty. In contrast, the Apostle John serves a rich banquet, remarkably different from the fair contemporary end times authors often provide. In Revelation, John presents a lamb who was slain, yet has been raised from the dead and now rules and reigns from his heavenly throne. His power and presence are not confined to heaven, however. In word and sacrament, he makes himself truly present in the everyday lives of his holy people. He offers real strength and encouragement in the midst of Satan's assaults, pain, suffering, and death. He has conquered these our greatest enemies, and they flee in terror at the sight of his holy cross. He is here, this Lamb of God, now with us, and he will come again to make everything new. These truly biblical teachings about God's Lamb can satisfy the hunger of every heart and soothe the longing of every soul forever. Okay? All right, we'll stop there for today, Uh, just with a little background and introduction. Um, Next week, I'm going to uh, dive uh, just into a little more detail on those eight verses uh, that we read um, and then from there, we're going to go into uh, a study now of these seven churches. Uh, specifically, uh, there's some uh, great uh, wealth, we- wealth and depth and wisdom and knowledge and understanding to be found there for us. Okay. Any closing questions or comments? Okay. Hang on to your seats, folks. It's going to be a fun ride. All right. All right. Let's stand and uh, pray as our Lord, the Lamb of God, has taught us.